0: Welcome to the Shalhaba Community Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. A quick thought with you. You know, a a worldwide gross profit of $1.84 billion, the movie Titanic, was one of those movies that when it came on every woman's heart. Uh, The picture of of Rose and Jack on the front of the boat, uh, you know, I, I wonder how many this morning have tried to replicate that somehow, somewhere, you know, on your 4.2 Quintrix at the front uh, before you fell off. Um, but, but this movie was one of the highest grossing movies of all time until Avatar bumped it off the list. Uh, but you may be under 30 here. You may not realize this, but the Titanic was actually a real boat it's, it's a, just in case okay you know i'm not sure uh but i know on the gold coast people aren't quite as smart there were some young adults that thought really i didn't know it was a real story 1912 uh that the the uh um the ship titanic sank and hit an iceberg and 1500 people lost their uh, lost their lives and that was an absolute tragedy and what was, what was so, so revealing about this story was that, if you know anything about it, that people bought a place on the boat according to their financial capacity. So those who were of a poorer financial capacity had the lower decks, the middle class had the middle decks, the upper class had the upper decks where there was fresh air, whatever. And when the ship hit the iceberg, it was the people on the lower decks that noticed that they were sinking first. And they're the ones that were sent into a panic. But the water slowly rose up to the uh, middle decks and then eventually to the upper decks, which then sunk the boat. And there's a metaphor here, which I think is so more uh, uh, important and, and uh, prioritized to us right now. Seeing that we live in, if there is such a thing as a post-COVID era... Uh, um, because of where we are at right now, I think what I want to share with you this morning is even more relevant. Because the metaphor is, is that what lies in the lower decks of your life eventually will make its way to the upper decks of your life. And no matter how much you try and spiritualize it, no matter how much you try and suppress it or compress it, And I think this last 18 months has revealed it and especially revealed it in the church that what is in us will make its way out of us one day. And so the question that I have for you this morning is simply this. If you were to plot your current life, the trajectory of where you are at right now and what is in the lower decks of your life right now, if you were to plot the the trajectory of your life five years forward, who are you becoming? What sort of person, what sort of father, what sort of mum, what sort of single person, what sort of CEO, what sort of property developer, who are you becoming? Are we becoming more like Jesus or are we becoming more like the city we live in, the church we attend, the cultural group that we align ourselves with? Because the whole goal of this relationship with Christ is for you and I to be more like Jesus. Now, here's the thing. In this church, in this faith community, chances are you will be here for a season in your life. Now, pastors like Shane and I want you here for your whole life, but chances are life will take you elsewhere. You'll get a transfer. You'll get married. You'll move with university, whatever it might be. Chances are you are in this church for a season of your life our goal while you are here is to help shape your life to be more like Jesus, not more like a church. Because we want to know that wherever you go around the world, and I love the heart of your leaders here that want to pray for our world missions and the people that are outside the four walls, because this is the deal. Wherever you go in life, this church wants to prepare you so that you are a blessing to another community somewhere. There is nothing more frustrating when people will move from a church to another church in another city and only want to replicate a culture in a previous church in a new environment and not a culture of being a follower of Christ. So our goal for you is not that you be more like Shell Harbor Community Church, but you be more like Jesus. So that wherever you go, you don't have to be coaxed to give. You don't have to be coaxed to serve. You don't have to have the right brochure or the right website to get engaged in a faith community. But it's already a part of who you are, because that is what a follower of Jesus is like. And COVID revealed that in us. When when it took away the structure of meeting together, I don't know about you guys, but I know on the Gold Coast, we still have got probably 30% of people who lost their way because a church structure was taken away, but they never had a discipleship structure in their life. They never knew that although that this is so important and an important part of our life, Our real meat and our real drink comes from our daily discipleship in becoming more of a follower of Jesus. And so who are you becoming? Who will you be in five years' time, ten years' time? In the book of Mark, chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus is addressing a group of people and he says this, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. You know, when Jesus is addressing this group of people, he only identified two groups. He said there was the crowd, and then there were the disciples. So the crowd came to him to listen to him, and then he also called his disciples along with them. So two groups of people that he addressed. And when you read through, when Jesus spoke to people, it was the crowd, it was the peripheral people that he was, he was pitching the kingdom of God to. And then there was the core, they were the disciples, they were the followers, they were the people that had signed up to say, hey, this is what we want to give our life to. But then as the New Testament evolved and the book of Acts came in, there was another name that was given to people like you and I called Christian. But here's what's interesting. The word Christian is only used two or three times in the whole New Testament. The word disciple or the word follower is used almost 300 times. The dominant language of the New Testament is that we are followers or disciples of Jesus, not just Christians. Because what comes with the word Christian today is a whole bunch of luggage, baggage. And there are people here this morning and you know, you've worked, you've you, you've had a business partner, or you dated someone that said, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, or you've known someone like that, but their life that they lived didn't represent what you thought a Christian should really be. Or you went to a Christian school and you saw things and heard things from teachers who were Christian teachers that turned you off a life of Christianity. Or you had a parent who forced you to go to church because they were a Christian, but when they got home, they were mean-spirited, they were Heart and it changed the way you viewed Christianity. Kathy and I passed it in the US for a number of years, and I, I know that we have a few US people here this morning, just like every second person is called Rachel or Dave. And uh, but, but I've discovered that already. Um, well, pastoring in America, one of the greatest nations on the face of the earth, honestly, probably done more for world missions than any other nation, is the nation of America. But trying to lead a church as Australians in a nation that predominantly calls themselves and classifies themselves as Christian was really hard. Because everyone you talk to, they say, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor of a church. And they go, oh, yeah, I go to church. And you go, oh, what a shame. But, you know, I want to try and reach you. And I say, what church do you go to? And they go, um, oh, I can't remember the name. It was Easter last year. But, you know, we're a Christian family. He's a Christian. I'm a Christian the dogs are christian we're all christian and it's kind of really hard to reach but in a lot of ways society has become like that that we classify ourselves well i'm a christian and unfortunately what happens it provokes something in other people because when they think of a lot of us, they think of us being, you know, uh, um, divisive or, or, or hurtful with our speech and, and, you know, resentful towards people and marginalizing people. And, and that's the way they often think of Christians because of the life we've often lived. But here's the deal, folks, this morning. Jesus didn't call us just to be Christians so that we would produce more Christians where Christians said that we would produce disciples, followers of Christ, people that have signed up to say, man, I want to be part of whatever this calling is. I want to give my life to it. And I believe COVID has revealed in us the necessity for you and I, not just to be a Christian in name or in label, but to be a follower of Christ to be a disciple, to be someone that says, Jesus, my goal in life is to be more like you. And I wrestle with it every day as a grandfather, as a husband, as a dad, as an employer. But most importantly, I am a follower of Christ. I am not a, a leader of a movement first. I am a follower of Jesus first. You are not a property developer first. You are not an accountant first. You are a follower of Christ That is our number one. And so who are we becoming? Are we more like Jesus or are we more like what we've given our life to, our sporting club? Our primary goal is to help us to become followers of Jesus. In the book of John, chapter 1, verse 35, one of my favorite little stories. And to give you a little bit of context of this, John the Baptist was the go-to guy he he, he was mr popular he, he was the one he was selling all the, the cds the podcasts were going wild john the baptist was the voice but then as you know if you know anything about john his whole message was about I'm, I'm i'm not the man jesus is the man he's the one that's coming and so i'm just setting him up and this little story here takes place when john has been building up jesus with his disciples verse 35 the following day John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Just pause there for a moment. I don't know whether, you know, it, it, could you imagine you've invested into some young guy, some young girl? You've taken them out for meals, for coffees. You've, you, you know, you've you've revealed your company secrets to them. You took them on board. You've paid for them to get personal development. You've poured into their life. And one day, you're having a coffee, and someone that does the same job as you walks by. Only they're a little bit better, a little bit ahead. And you say to the person you've been building and pouring yourself into see that girl see that guy they run such and such a company they are amazing and the person that you've invested into gets up and joins their company i'd know about you but i'd be a little bit ticked there is nothing more frustrating as a pastor that when you've invested in someone and they leave to go to another church or another university or another town somewhere and you go i've poured my life into you but because i'm a good person you release them and let them go just a little bit of humanity it's tough though Here's John, he's poured himself into his disciples, building up Jesus. Jesus walks by and at that, John's two disciples leave John and follow Jesus. But look at this in verse 38. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. What do you want? I mean, this question, is, it underlines every other question we have in life. I think this should be week one for every new person that joins this faith community. We should talk about this. What do you want? Jesus swings around and says to John's disciples, what do you want? What do you expect to find from me that you're not getting from John? What do you want? Notice that Jesus doesn't say, what do you know? He doesn't say, what do you believe? He says, what do you want? And folks, we've got to wrestle with this because underneath it. And if we don't wrestle with it, it is the cause of why we get uh, are disruptive and restless in our marriages, why we uproot families and leave churches, why we we we, you know, spit the dummy and and quit a job when we know we need the finances. What do you want? What is it that keeps you up at night, what is it that you're wrestling with? What is it that you're studying and giving your life to? What do you want? Coming Sunday morning, Sunday night, when you walk into this fabulous auditorium, what do you want? And if we don't wrestle with that, let me tell you, there will be an unhappiness in every person's soul until you wrestle with the question, what is it I want? in my relationship with Christ, in my discipleship journey, what do I want? It will drive you. It will get you up in the morning when you answer this. It'll keep you up at night studying, reading when you answer this. And unfortunately for so many people, we never actually take the time and ask ourselves, what do I really want? Our wants and longings and desires are at the the core of our identity. They are the wellspring from which our actions and behaviors flow. Our wants reverberate from our heart, the epicenter of the human person. So let me ask you this morning, what do you want? And when you find out changing the way we have lived for the last 20, 40, 60 years is nothing short of a revolution. And the great news is this morning is that God is committed to our transformation. So when we discover what we want, God wants to help shape our lives. The book of Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23. It's an ancient book of wisdom written by the king of Israel, Solomon. and He said this above all else. Guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. You parent from your heart. You love from your heart. You lead from your heart. You do your career from your heart. You do friendships from your heart. Everything we do flows out of here. So when it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to discipleship, Discipleship is actually a way to curate and purify our heart. Following Christ is actually about what I really want because what you really want, you tend to live toward. It comes out of your heart. And Jesus commands to align our hearts and our longings with what He wants for our life. And now here's the deal. I know when we talk to most Christian people here this morning, if, we were to, if I was to ask you a question, what do you want? We know how we should answer. We know what we should say. As a good Christian, we should say things like, well, I, I just want world peace. Actually, that's Miss America. But, you know, something like that. I, I, I just want to be more like Jesus. And, and I've heard it. I've said it. I've heard it. Well, I, you know, I've seen business people say it. Well, I, I just want to be, you know, used in the kingdom. I just want to make wealth and use it for the kingdom. And then one day they start making wealth. But instead of using it for the kingdom, they upgrade their lifestyle. And you ask them in five years, what do you still want? Oh, well, I just want to be when I'm wealthy, used for the kingdom. I've seen it with young guys and girls who... I just want Jesus. I just want to love Jesus until that guy or that girl that, you know, stands in front of them and lifts their hands up to worship and they're wearing a muscle shirt and, you know, the biceps are, 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 you know, getting caught in the lights off the stage and they're glistening and the sweat smells like something angelic. And it's just, and suddenly for the young girl who just wanted Jesus, sees this guy and goes, well, I'd like Jesus plus. Nothing wrong with that. But then, you know, often, as I've seen oftentimes, you know, they were, they were so frequent and worship and attendance and then they slowly start, you know, you know, less obvious and less attending. And before you know it, oftentimes you'll just see them slip out the back because here's the thing, what they said they wanted, they didn't really want. And I think we're often the same that what we say we want I don't know whether that's really what we want. I don't know whether it really is the longings that are in our heart. Are you confident that what you think you love aligns with your innermost longings? So again, Jesus says, what do you want? Because your deepest desire is the one manifested by your daily life and habits. What you want most today, that is how you spend your life. And that is why when people say, well, I want to lose weight. I just want to lose weight. How we spend our life, our daily habits reflect what we really want in life. And that's why when your pastor was saying this morning that where our treasure is, There our heart is, is that if we have a daily habit of generosity, that treasure, whatever that may be through our time, our talent, our treasure, whatever that might be, it reflects that our heart is a generous heart. But for a lot of Christians, there's a disconnect in our life, which is why I believe Jesus is saying, come on, let's go to a deeper level, not just stay at level Christian. Let's become followers. Let's become disciples. Let's be people who align what we really want in life with what God wants for us. Because God wants your life to be so prosperous and full of joy. He wants your life to make a difference. But we've got to wrestle with the question, what do I want? You are what you love because you live toward what you want. Last verse in Mark chapter 10. Verse 17 to 22 is a great example of where this outplays. Jesus has an encounter with a young man. It says this, And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. You know, as the musicians can come. You've got a young man who has everything going for him. Who comes up to Jesus one day and says, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Well, what, what else can I add to my life? Because that's what I want. I, I want eternal life. So Jesus goes through some of the commandments, the do's and don'ts. And this young man goes, well, you know what? I've kept all those. I've behaved myself. I have been spectacular in every area. So what do I need for eternal life? Jesus says, well, there's only one other thing. And Jesus pulls out, nothing to do with the commandments, but he pulls out the one thing, that the guy really wanted. Now, he said he wanted eternal life. But Jesus pulls out and goes, you know what, if you really want that, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, come follow me. And at that, the young man walks away sorrowful. So what he said he wanted, he didn't really want. And that moment, if you can think about this, that young man had an opportunity to join the greatest show on earth. He was one decision away, probably from becoming the next disciple. Who knows what could have happened through his life? Who knows what God was going to unleash through this young man? You said you wanted, but that's not really what you wanted. Because what you want is in your heart. And every day, we have habits that reinforce what we really want. And part of our challenge in post-pandemic, I think if we don't wrestle with questions like this, my biggest fear for the church today is that we just go back and build on the foundations that we were pre-covid and i feel it all the time pastors pressured by attendance pastors pressured by budgets and i get it i am a pastor i face those pressures all the time but the deeper question is is that i think we need to wrestle with what we want from following jesus Because let me tell you, you wrestle with that, you find your answer, and things like this become something we look forward to with expectation. Coming to pray together isn't like, oh man, another prayer meeting. It's an opportunity to stand in the gap, to stand on the wall, and to believe God for our brothers and sisters all around the world. Why? Because that's what we want sharing our faith with a coworker isn't something we feel like we have to do because that's what a Christian does it's what we want to do because that's who we are when it comes time to sowing our finances it's not something we feel obliged to do or you know that, that pressure to do we do it because that's what we want James Thurber cartoonist and author said this, all people should strive to learn before they die what they are running from and to and why. I wonder if that young man in that story ever stopped long enough to wonder why. Why did I leave? I wonder how he felt when he saw Jesus go to the cross, when he heard the story. I wonder whether he ever felt this sense of you know, well, man, I'm glad I wasn't part of that, or whether there was a deep sorrow in his heart on what he missed out on being a part of. I wonder with having his wealth filled his heart with any more joy than what following Jesus would have given him. 21st century cultural architect Winnie the Pooh said this, Sometimes the smallest things take up the most room in your heart. So let me ask you this morning. Let's be closed. What do you want? I think every married couple should wrestle with this. Every single person should wrestle with this. What do I want? Get before God and say, "God, help me with this question. Give me clarity." What is it I want? First and foremost, it's being a follower of Jesus. And I don't know where you're at today, but no doubt in a crowd this size that there's bound to be some people that you've never actually surrendered your life to Christ. And maybe you are one of those people that have been turned off by Christians, by people that supposedly wanted to live a life like Jesus but showed a life that was totally different and you can blame that and you can point the finger at that but sooner or later you've got to wrestle with the question what do I want and if I want to know Jesus I've got to take a step regardless of how other people have displayed Jesus in my past how I've been hurt by Christian people or a church or a a Christian school or all that sort of stuff I've got to take responsibility and I've got to ask the question what do I want And this morning, I pray that you want to be a follower of Christ. I pray that you want to start the journey of walking with Jesus. And I want to give you that opportunity right now, this morning. I think there'd be some young people here. You've grown up in a Christian home and God's on your case. What do you want? There'd be some older people here. We've got to ask ourselves, am I a follower of Christ? Am I willing to be a disciple? Someone that will step in and say, God, I want this for my life. I'm going to pray a really simple prayer. Really, really simple. And then what I'm going to do while our eyes are closed is I'm going to give an opportunity for anyone that is praying this prayer for the first time or anyone that... Maybe for the second or third time, you say this morning, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I know that I haven't been, and I want to be a follower of Jesus today. I'm going to ask you to respond while eyes are closed simply by putting your hand in the air. I want to know who we're praying for. So, right now, can we just close our eyes? And if that's you this morning, and you want to say, Ross, I want to be a follower of Jesus, then I'm going to pray this simple prayer. You can pray it out loud, we can all pray it together. You can pray it. In your heart, under your breath, doesn't really matter how. The magic's not in the method, nothing to do with it. But God wants your heart this morning. So I'd love you to repeat these words after me. Simply say, Jesus today, help me to follow you. I give you my life. You know, right now, while eyes are closed, if you said that prayer, and maybe for the first or time that you really believed it, you've really wanted it, you've, you want to be a follower of Jesus today, while heads are bowed in this place, I'd love you just to slip your hand up in the air and go, hey, Ross, that was me this morning. I prayed that prayer. I want to be a follower. Thank you so much. The young lady over there on the side, you can put it down. Who else is there this morning? Just put it up high and go, yeah, that's me. You know what? I need to give my life to Jesus this morning. I I know that I've been avoiding this moment. I want to be a follower of Christ. Quickly, right across this place, I believe there's another two or three people here this morning. You just want to say, hey, I want to give my life to Jesus this morning. Lift it up nice and high so I can see it this morning and just say, yeah, that's it. Thank you so much. Young lady over there, you can put it down. Thank you in the middle there. Ma'am, you can put it down. Thank you so much. But just wait just another moment for one more person to say, you know what, I want to start this journey today. I want to be a follower of Jesus. Wonderful. Let me pray for you, everyone else this morning. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you, Lord, for the... There is such a, a great heart. The heart of this church is healthy. And I just really believe for Shane and Rachel, I, I just sense um, we haven't talked at all about the vision or your plans for this place. But right? I just feel, you know, you are going to step into a new season of releasing. I, I actually see some people going from this place to plant, plant churches. I see that God is going to, to bring to this place. It's going to be kind of like a, a little bit of a, you know, people will come in for a year or two and, and, and get around the spirit and the heart of this place, and they'll go from here to other regions, either to transition a church or to plant a church. And I don't know whether that's been part of what you guys have ever planned or dreamed, but I just sense it's, it's, it's like you're, you're ready for it. There is, you, this place is poised for it. And so don't be surprised if, as a church community, if we see in coming years, you know, regular moments where we're praying for people on the platform like we did this morning because they're about to be launched out. And it won't just be people that stay within the the boundaries of Australia. I see people for, for nations right across the world that will come from this place. And I don't say this lightly, but your best years of influence as pastors and as a church are the next years ahead of you? The next years ahead of you. Everything God has done has led us to this moment. It has laid a platform for what is next. So, Father, I thank you for the heart of this church, the heart of the pastors and the team of this church. And Lord, I pray for this next season. Lord, we pray for such fruitfulness. We pray for such influence into the schools, into the universities, into the workplace, and into the regions beyond. We thank you for it, Lord, that this church would be a church that would be known for raising up followers, for disciples of Jesus. And even in your training, I see like a discipleship school running from this place where you'll just you know, impart the, 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 the methods of following Christ, not just the leadership principles. That's important, but that comes out of our discipleship. I just see it's going to be like an a, a incubator for disciples, for people who want to follow Christ. And I thank you for it in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen and amen.